You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. I'm going to be answering a question because we've had dialogue at the center of, of, of our Sunday meeting for the whole summer. It's a frequently asked question. Someone actually asked me this question. Who are the fiercest women in the Bible? Casey just gave a couple. Eve and Mary, you know. Uh, Eve, Eve's got some fierceness, even though she's like responsible for the fall of humanity. Um, Mary definitely does. Uh, got, got some major fierceness. You've, you've, you've heard her song, right? I'm, I'm really interested in songs today. So I, Mary would be the one that I would get to next, but I actually, I'm actually not going to talk to her. <laughs> we, all the songs in the Bible. Women are singers in the Bible. They, they do lots of singing. Speaking of women singers and fierceness, y'all remember Sasha Fierce? Yes. Yes, <laughs> Sasha Fierce. David, I don't have the clicker. Victor, can you run it up to me so I can be in control of it? But let's get Sasha Fierce up there. This is Beyonce's uh, uh, alter ego from, yo, it's been 10 years since this album came out, y'all. In November, it's the 10th anniversary. Thank you, Victor. I can't believe it. It makes me feel old. But you, you know this album. I, I, I know you do. Halo. I can see a halo. Um, now, come on, all the single ladies. All the single ladies, the best uh, music video of all time, according to Kanye West. Um, but the one that I love the most on this album is If I Were a Boy. Who knows If I Were a Boy? G knows this whole album, okay. But what, what's your name? Andrea. Andrea knows this whole album too. Casey does too, this is good. So um, I, I, just, I, I am like just so smitten with this song again. And again, I'm sorry that the screen's messed up today. I'm not sure what's going on. But got some lyrics up there and I actually wanna play you a little bit of this song because I think it is so good. Beyonce, the voice of a generation of women, y'all. If you like her or not, sorry. She speaks for womankind these days, as far as rich people go. Okay, I'll just have If I were a boy. <laughs> it works better if it's a girl singing it. Honesty. All right, so in the music video, she's talking to this, the boy, that she wants to love. We don't, I don't even want, I don't want to watch it. It's too sexy. I don't want to see that. It's, it's not good for Sunday meetings. She takes her shirt off in a second. We don't need to see that. Here we go. Just listen to the words. We're not going to listen to the whole thing. Just for a day. I roll out of bed in the morning and poem what I wanted to go. Drink it with the guy.
we don't have time to do the whole song, though. It's totally worth it. And the video, it's really interesting. I hadn't watched the video in a long time. That's what the gunfire. She's like a cop, and she's out like doing kind of man stuff, uh, kind of. As and and then the 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 boy is at home, kind of doing his job, being good, not not like falling in love with his secretary who's coming on to him, and he's like you know holding it down for his woman who's out there protecting the city, you know. Um, and then it like flips at the end, and it turns out that he's the cop, and he's the one, because because Beyonce in, in in the video as the cop like gets enamored and get gets into trouble, do but not nothing like nothing sexual, doesn't do anything wrong, but she's just being a free person in the world, you know, just like doing what she wants, you know, putting on whatever she wants, you know, not worrying what people are gonna do, not worrying if her if her partner is going to like be jealous or not. Because you get this, you get what I'm doing. Why this is this is so revolutionary? Because I think this is that. Um, just turn it. Because women are are trained in our, in our culture to be so attuned, whereas men are 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 notoriously not attuned and go out and do whatever they want as long as they're not being totally unfaithful. They're gonna do what they just gotta be themselves in the world. You know, of course there are women like this. And Beyonce's trying to inspire women to be like this, but it's all about these dub double standards. Um, <laughs> and uh, what I what I really like about this double album that Beyonce put out, it was called I Am Dot 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 Sasha Fierce, and it was actually it was put out in two discs, even though there were only like six tracks on each disc. It was it was symbolic to represent this kind of multifaceted nature of Beyonce's artistry. So if I were a boy, it was on I Am, where they, it's more balanced. And Sasha Fierce had all the single ladies, the, the major party track, uh, which will be played at weddings for the rest of time. <laughs> you know, she, this is a major contribution to Western civilization. I'm not joking. Um, so um, it complicates a one-dimensional nature. Beyonce is was under you know Beyonce came out of Destiny's Child, you know you might think I'm just a pop princess, but let me give you this like, just ridiculously nuanced ballad about what it means to be a woman in today's culture. You know, please what, listen to the whole thing. Give give it a chance even if you don't like Beyonce or if it was ten years ago and you were like not conscious because you're not old like me. Um, yes, I love I love what she's doing. Primarily, she's doing this multifaceted thing. She's, she's putting herself out there as not one-dimensional. Sorry, y'all. Cardi B, she's one-dimensional. This isn't in my script, but I'm going off. Cardi B <laughs> is one-dimensional. Now, okay, Andrea doesn't, doesn't think so, but maybe she'll get more mature as she goes along. But it seems like the one dimension that we, we, we keep pushing our women into is, of course, a sex object. You know? And... Uh, that I, I, what I want to talk about with fierceness of women in the Bible, they get pushed into the same kind of, of pigeonholes as, as the women in our culture. There's, there's this one dimensional, it might not be the only thing, of course you'll be able to get some more out of it, but there's this push to flatten women out, to make them into one thing, and it usually has to do with how they uh, are important to uh, men, you know, because men tell, tell history, the Bible is written by uh, mostly a male-controlled society, so that that happens, and even in how the Bible got written too. 
Aaron Kane of the United Methodist Church General Commission on the Status and Role of Women. That's a good uh, commission to have, United Methodist Church. Thanks. She broke down some of the facts about women in the Bible for us. Only 188 to 205, depending upon what Bible you read, of women are named, there at, at most 205 women named in the Bible. Compare that to the 1,181 men who are named in the Bible. Even the women that were following Jesus are often referred to as the women. You know, in, in Acts, right after Jesus ascends to uh, heaven, and they go and pray, the disciples, who've all been named meticulously, even though some of them did nothing, as far as we know, <laughs> um, and, and, and certain women, they go and pray, you know, even though among those certain women are like Salome, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, all the people who stood with Jesus at the cross, uh, some certain women, you know, because this is how stories get told in the first century and before, okay, so... Just want to, I'm acknowledging this as we're getting started because we're trying to um, get these women out of a, a kind of a flat, kind of single story. Another quote, Nigerian author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie speaks to literary limitations such as these in a TED talk she titled, The Danger of a Single Story. The consequence of the single story is this. It, robbed people, it robs people of dignity. It makes our recognition of our equal humanity difficult. It emphasizes how we are different rather than how we are similar. Stories matter. Many stories matter. Stories have been used to dispossess and to malign, but stories can also be used to empower and to humanize. Stories can break the dignity of a people, but stories can also repair the broken dignity. When we reject the single story, when we realize that there is never a single story about any place, we regain a kind of paradise. So we've received a single story about women. Uh, and just like <coughs> Beyonce needed to externalize her not one-dimensional nature back in 2008, we need to get some new eyes for these old stories, these actually fierce women in the Bible, because we're more complex than that. The Bible needs a Sasha Fierce album, so we can, we can read it without just a few, we can read it with a few more dimensions, all right? So I guess we should probably all buy this book that, that, I, that I found out about when I was writing this talk. Um, it was published last year. It's called Fierce, Women of the Bible and Their Stories of Violence, Mercy, Bravery, Wisdom, Sex, and Salvation by Alice Connor. You know, Google Books, you can like start reading the books. I read like the whole introduction, first part of the first chapter. I'm into it. Real, real, very readable style. I can't vouch for everything she says, but I've already ordered the book, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna prematurely recommend it to you because it's doing what I wanna do with some of these stories. In her introduction, she gives us a really good reason for reading these stories with more than one dimension. And I have a, the quote there. Most of it's on the screen. You can read along with me. Uh, what happened to these stories? What happened to these women with their stories of neglect and celebration, anger, or mercy? What, for that matter, has happened to the stories of our own mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and Tamar and all the Marys? Sometimes our ferocity is almost invisible, but it is not extinguished. 
when we read their stories, we can see not only their particular fearsome lives, but also our own. That's the important part that I really like. We can see not only their particular fearsome lives, but also our own. We all need a sense of our fearsome lives. In a world dominated by liars, violence, and impossibly rich people, we are all in need of finding our own voice, of finding a new sense of our own ferocity. Am I right? The script about you, whether you're a woman or not, probably needs to be flipped. You need a Sasha Fierce album, too. Men. Whatever, whatever that would be. Just call it Sasha Fierce, that's fine. Just claim the mantle. You know, you want others to take another look at you, too. Read you in a new way. Take you seriously as a human being. We all want that, I think. We've all kind of gotten stuck occasionally. Or maybe, and it might not be so negative. It might just be, there's more. You know, this is my, 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 my word to you. There's more about you than maybe even you know. Don't, don't be satisfied with just what you've become comfortable with. But back to women, we've inherited this story about many of the women in the Bible that's it's one-dimensional. And again, probably the biggest mallet used to flatten women out is sex. <coughs> probably because that's one of the things that powerful men are very interested in. Two examples of women that are overly sexualized. Um, <coughs> Jezebel and Mary Magdalene. Jezebel is a bad girl. You know that. Jezebel means bad girl. You know, like that, that's what that means. And Mary Magdalene, opposite, awesome. You know, Mary Magdalene, best, 13th disciple, uh, and the first of the resurrection. Let me talk to, them, let me talk to you about their stories and how they got, they got too uh, flattened out. Jezebel is the story in 1 Kings 16, 31. It's the first time she gets mentioned. And then her story goes all the way to 2 Kings 9, 37. That's when she dies. It's 16 chapters. There are tons of powerful men that are involved in Jezebel's story, but she's the constant. Elijah, her big nemesis, actually dies before she does. Um, well, gets carried up into heaven. Uh, and, you know, the thing that she does is she marries Ahab, who goes down in history as the worst king ever. This is a period in, in Israel's history where they had all these kings, and they're talking, this guy was good, this guy was bad, this guy was good. Ahab was really bad because he married Jezebel. But the thing is, Jezebel gets, goes down in history as like this like sexy temptress. You know, that's what that, Jezebel also means kind of like a promiscuous person, right? You're a Jezebel, you know? But read her story. There is nothing about sex in the story. Nothing. She's just a powerful, megalomaniacal despot. She is just a fierce woman taking people down, killing all of the prophets of Yahweh except for Elijah. You know, she is a bad, bad leader. Like, and you know, she's, and, and, and powerfully so, you know? She, she, she's a force to be reckoned with. She is not just a sex object. She, she's way more important than that. You know, they, they, she, you know, she was kind of untouchable until in the end, her, uh, her own servants got co-opted by the revolution that Jehu was, was leading, and they threw her off of, the, of the, the castle. That's how she died. She got betrayed. She didn't, she didn't lose. So this is, how, this is what we do with women. Even the bad women become sex objects. This is a problem. Mary Magdalene. She gets erroneously 
named as the, the definitely she's the same person that was like a, uh, a prostitute. You know, there was enough, there, there are like a million Marys in, in the New Testament, but the one Mary that was a prostitute and Mary Magdalene, definitely the same person. You know, let's link those up because this powerful woman needs the legacy of being sexual, you know? Even like in, in books of, of like kind of uh, 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 like speculation, there's the one book about where they speculate that Mary was actually Jesus' wife. You know, he, this is like a rumor in history. Totally not true, but also totally typical that we would make this woman only important because she had sex with someone. Like that's, that's, what, that's what we do in our culture, that's the script. But Mary Magdalene, this is um, Chi Po Chung, who plays Mary Magdalene in AD Kingdom and Empire, my favorite show. Uh, and she is a force to be reckoned with. A lot of the disciples don't even get into the show because 12 people is way too many to have drama. But Mary gets in and she's definitely the most, like, she's the best disciple, you know? She's, she's, she's amazing. So these women were major players in their time and place and they were definitely fierce. Be like Mary Magdalene, okay, though? Don't, don't worship false gods and destroy all of the real gods' prophets. That, that's Jezebel's legacy. <laughs> Nonetheless, both very powerful women. But now, so that, that, that's a problem that we just, you know, I've acknowledged it. Let's keep moving on to a couple of people that uh, don't get sexualized, mostly because of their obscurity. Um, and... Uh, and you know, it's it, but but even still, I, I was reading some commentaries where we where people were trying to bring these women down. So I want to lift them up. Deborah first. Deborah is is y'all heard Deborah in, in Judges four and five? She's a she's a judge, and the way that Israel was working at the time, these kind of charismatic leaders would just kind of organically become the one in charge, and so she was. She rose to power in Israel because of her wisdom. She would, she would uh, give counsel to people under a palm tree. That's why there's a palm tree in this cool uh, depiction of her up there on the screen. And most of the time in this very kind of violent place in the world, this very violent uh, moment in history, this, it's this little strip of land. Uh, one of the technical names for it is the Levant. This is the, the land of Israel. It's this plain that, that's very desirable for trade because it's right along the Mediterranean and also it has some fertility that's, that's useful. So people want it. The Israelites wanted it and they had to take it from their, their neighbors, and, but their neighbors wanted it back. And so in the time of the judges, it's this loose kind of federation of tribes. They, they kind of get organized together often enough to defeat their enemies. And Deborah, is one of the people that organizes them to defeat the Canaanites at one point. Jabin, the king of the Canaanites, is kind of, you know, think of this as like more like there's just ran, it's like tribal warlords, you know, kind of jockeying for power. And some of them are is Israelite and some of them are <coughs> otherites, like in this case, Jabin, king of the Canaanites. And he gets them organized enough to kind of have everybody paying tribute to him instead of Israel being the sovereign nation that it's supposed to be. And so they need to defeat him. They need, they, it's this violent time. And Deborah's, one of the, one of the things Deborah does is she, she, she sounds the battle cry. And the, 
it's really interesting, women don't often do this, and, and, and that was actually the case, because she had a, a general who was named Barak, and, he, and, he, and she said, I'm, you know, Barak, this is what you need to do, I've heard, I've heard the word from the Lord, go and do it. But Barak's like, no, I'm not going without you. And I, this is the part that I, that I really like, she says, fine, but it's gonna go to, down in history that, that Israel was delivered by a woman. She makes a point of it. You know, this is like, I gave you a chance to go with the script, Barack, but because you want me to go, fine, I'm going to take the glory too. And she writes this song, which is all about the glory of Israel and her leadership of it in, in, in Judges 5. It's this great song of triumph. And you know what? It is so fierce. Again, it's a very violent time. I'm not, I'm not recommending that we get tribal warlords going in Pensacola. You know, don't be like Deborah like that, but be aware of what you've accomplished with God and talk about it and tell other people that they didn't get there. Because most of the song, and, and I'm not, we don't have time to go through it all, but mo- it, 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 it plays a little bit like a, um, like a diss track, you know? Yo, Naphtali was there, but where were you, Gad? These are the tribes of Israel. She calls out all the people. Oh, they, there was much searching of heart in the land of Gad, you know? They couldn't figure out they were gonna come. And they basically missed the battle. And God delivered us even without y'all. So it's, it's this kind of this kind of like, this real chest puffy kind of song. But the most gruesome part, and most fierce, JL's gotta get in here too, all right? So the last part of the song is about JL, who gives the decisive blow to the, the the end of, of this uh, Canaanite power struggle because Sisera is the general of King Jabin of the Canaanites. And, you know, when Deborah and Barak rout the, force, rout the forces of the Canaanites, Sisera flees like a jerk, you know. And he goes to a place where, where he thinks he's going to be safe because the, the Kenites, Jael is a member of the Kenites, they have an alliance with the Canaanite king. But Jael knows that they just got destroyed at, at the battlefield. So she switches sides. She lures Sisera in. Well, she, she just offers him hospitality. Come on in, sure. You want, you want some water? Oh, no, I'll do you one better. Drink, drink some milk. Hot commodity. Drink some milk. He goes to sleep. He was just in a battle. He's tired. Then she drives a tent spike through his head and kills him. And that's what the end of that picture is. That's, that's her with her, her tent spike. Very fierce thing to do. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that really got me cheesed off and why I had to put JL in here. One, because she's in Deborah's song. It's like the last part of Deborah's song is all about uh, uh, JL. And I'm actually going to read that part to you in a sec. No, let me read it to you now. This is Deborah saying, yo, check out my homegirl, JL. Most blessed of women, Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. This is how they talk, you know? You know, just like, you know, ready for it. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple, and her, at her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay, at her feet he sank, he fell. This is like a song, that's why there's this repetition. It's like, this is going down in history, this is being immortalized. Okay, and then this is like, this is the like, the kind of twisted part. 
Okay, this is, this is Deborah's imagination. Okay, so what's Sisera's mom gonna think? Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man? Colorful garments and plunder for Sisera. Colorful garments embroidered. Highly embroidered garments for the neck. All, his, all this as plunder. So may all your enemies perish, Lord. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. That's fierce. Yo, the mom's waiting for him to come home. He's not coming home. <laughs> I actually read a commentary. Zondervan, 1988. Connected to BibleGateway.com. Do not read Bible commentaries on the internet, okay? <laughs> it's, they're bad. This is what they said about JL. They actually said that what was most important about, about what was happening with JL it was just, it was totally cowardly. They made this whole moral argument about how she like, you know, she didn't like step to his face, to Cicero's face, she waited for him to go to sleep and killed him. You know, like a woman or something. <laughs> essentially that's what it was. Uh, husband. husband to the front lines to be murdered. Yeah, be like that guy, not like JL. No, who, who saw the writing on the wall and said, oh, I'm going with the people of Israel. You know, this is this that's that's kind of the, the merits of, of, of all of these old stories. Like, are you with God or not? That's what the people are doing all the time. And Jael got with God, so she went down in history. She's Deborah's, you know, very important person. And I think we should go with, with Deborah, not with this commentator who's malign in jail. I really got mad about that. Okay. Yeah, we have time. Let's 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 do let's do Miriam too. These these people who sing. They're great. I like that depiction of Miriam and the and the dancers. You know, one reason that it's Deborah's song about the battle is because in uh, Hebrew culture at the time, it was actually the the role of the women to write the victory songs, and so like they would get into the diss tracks. You know, like a lot of these these songs are pretty fierce, and they were interested. It wasn't like they just like kind of glossed over the details. Like, no, God did something. Our, and even our men did something, and, and they, didn't want, they didn't want to be ignored. So there's, there's a song in Exodus 15 that we were actually singing. That's from Exodus 15. It's called the Song of the Sea, and it's one of the oldest pieces of writing in Hebrew. Uh, it's written in this very archaic Hebrew that either, you know, by the looks of it, it was like the 13th century BCE. Uh, though they might have, some, some scholars think that they might have been like writing it in an older style to make it seem older. You know, this is how the Bible gets put together. Um, but speaking of how the Bible gets put together, the, the context for this song that Miriam sings, which is also quite fierce, it's all about how God saved the Israelites from the uh, Egyptian army by crushing them with the Red Sea. You, you know the story, the, 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 the Israelites walk through on dry land, and then Moses stretches out his hands, and psh, everybody's under, you know, 20,000 leagues under the sea or whatever, and they all die, you know. Again, very gruesome, very fierce. But check this out. Uh, my, my thing's messed up, but you don't even really need to read this too much. There are these 
this story gets told twice. And this is common in the Bible. So here in Exodus 14, before this big song happens, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians, and the chariots, and horsemen. And it goes on, uh, and it's just celebrating. But the, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel. You know, that's kind of what's going on. This is, again, what's important is this is Exodus 14, 29. And then all, most of Exodus 15 is this long song of the sea that I was talking about, which often gets labeled as Moses' song. All right? This is Moses' song, all this stuff. But then check this out. Exodus 15, after it, tells this story. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly <coughs> exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. You see what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at here? The story gets told twice right in a row. There's like this longer version in Exodus 14, and then Moses' song. And then there's the exact same story gets told again in Exodus 14, in Exodus 15 right here, with a kind of shorter version of the song. What's up with that? This is kind of how the, the Old Testament gets written. There's a little side note about how it happens. This happens also in Genesis 1 and 2. The creation of the world happens twice. Go and read it. Tons of people don't even realize this. They haven't read Genesis often enough, but it's plain as day. And it's really interesting that the people who compiled the Bible, especially the, this, uh, the Torah, the Old Testament, these first five books, they're very old. Even when they put them together, like in the 6th century BC, they didn't care. They didn't say, uh-oh, that's not the same. We need to like make this match up. They said, oh, we have these two stories. They kind of tell the same story, but it's a couple different ways. They're okay with this kind of multiple voice, multifaceted. You know, there are two discs that represent the Exodus and, and being saved by the Red Sea. There's this like short little track that Miriam gets attributed to, but then there's also this long track that gets attributed to Moses. Here's the thing. A lot of modern translations are now putting at the top of the Moses song, the song of Moses and Miriam. Because what they, what they deduce is this shorter passage here in Exodus 15, you know, why would someone write a second version of this story and reduce it down, you know? Why would, why would they, they take a little bit of information in Exodus 15 and then, set, and then or they, they, the, the whole story is written out in more kind of colorful way, the, the song is longer in, in, in um, the first part, why would they take this shorter snippet and like reduce it down? This is like the reduced version here that Miriam gets credited for. What, what, what scholars are deducing is, no, actually, probably the shorter one is the original. And then they went, the revisionists came back in and said, oh, no, let's tell this story again with some more information. And let's also put Moses in there, because he's the one that we love. You know, he's the one that, 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 got, that went down in history as the most important one. You know, he is, he's Moses. 
Miriam's good too, but you know, Moses. So, I don't know if this is true. This is majorly speculative. We cannot know about this. But I think there is good reason to believe that Miriam and the women were responsible for this like major piece of liturgy that has been used. It is the defining moment of the Israelite people and still very much the defining moment of much of the Jewish religion. Exodus is what makes them a people. And this song is a major part of defining who they are. And uh, women, Miriam in particular, were essential in creating it. I think that's an important thing to say. Because what Miriam does here, you know, that, and that's just the, uh, the biblical scholarship. Um, what we can take from what Miriam and the women are doing here is this spontaneous eruption of celebration. It's a model for us. You know, how, you know what, what, it, what it takes to dance? I'm not much of a dancer, but if I'm going to dance, I can't be self-conscious. Like, I can't be somewhere where people are going to be mean to me. You know, like, where people, like sometimes if people are like really good dancers around me, I get real insecure because I'm, because I'm like, oh, they might think that like people on this dance floor are supposed to know how to dance, so I better go. But if I if I can if I can get over that feeling and dance and just have a good time and not worry what what people are thinking about me, it, it, it doesn't that feel good? Even the people among us, have you ever danced and felt good about it? You know. For some of us, it doesn't happen very often. Others are like, I love the dance. I dance every chance I get. That, that's how I'm wired. But others of us need more safety to feel it. Or at least skill, maybe. Skill might provide safety. I might not look super beautiful when I'm dancing, but when I do feel safe, um, something gets moved in me. There's more room for joy. Uh, dancing is, is an important thing to do. We don't dance at the Sunday meeting very often. We probably should. Probably figure out how to do that, because we need to get opened up, like even in our bodies. Um, I, I don't know if I get any better at it, but, I, but it gets more fun. And I think that's what the, the Miriam and all of the dancers, oh, I have, to, I have a picture of them again. These women do for us is that they show us the way. They show us the steps. They show us that it's okay. They make a circle of dancing and song. You know, that's why we need worship leaders. You know, we don't, we don't just, like, everyone say, um, okay, let's sing this song now. We need someone to keep us in time, and we need someone to, like, show us, no, we're singing here. This is what we're actually going to do, and you can sing along. You don't have to be able to do it. Because we need that even in, even in just in our normal lives, because it's easy to get crushed down get so self-conscious, get so protected that we can't get out of that and like open up and sing and connect with God. Get our bodies and our, and our, and our lungs moving. We're, we're, we're literally constricted and we need people to open us, open us up. Miriam knew all about being ground down, you know? She'd been a slave her whole life, you know? She had rescued her brother Moses when, when she was a teenager. Uh, but, you know, she, they sent them off in the water, you know that story about Moses. He gets sent in a basket, and then Miriam's the one that goes to the uh, to the Pharaoh's daughter and says, "Hey, you need a wet nurse for that baby." You know, she goes in kind of like a secret agent. She, she's a she's a fierce woman. She goes to the court, and instead of being discovered, she gets her she gets Moses into the back into the family a little bit. Well, at least while he's a baby, to be so bold. 
to pick up the tambourine and lead us in joy in this moment that could devolve so easily into fear. Horse and rider had been crushed in the sea. This moment is like exhilarating, but it could be exhilarating into like a spiral of anxiety and freak out. Like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And like, God just did all this crazy stuff. Do you remember there was the river of blood, there were frogs, there were boils, all their kids died. You know, that the story of the Exodus is like really intense. And it could just be, you know, just you could just be shell-shocked. You could just be stuck and like, you just everyone in Israel is traumatized and they are, no, they are not gonna make anything. They're not gonna survive. They're not going to move into anything that's next. They're just going to shut down. That would be a completely appropriate response to what just happened, even though they were the winners. You know, even though they got out alive. Getting out alive is not necessarily being alive. And so Miriam strikes up the tambourine. No, these people need to dance. These people need to sing. They need to accept the, that there is joy beyond this suffering that we're going to keep moving forward into what's next. This is the direction that God is calling us. And so she shows them how to have joy in the face of that destruction. She directs us to God in that awe. Sing to the Lord. He has won a glorious victory. He has thrown both horses and their riders in the sea. Directs us to God in the midst of devastation. Miriam takes a hold of the story and infuses it with joy. And, I, you know, like I said, I'm not letting Moses steal her spot. This is her thing that she did. Maybe Moses helped with the words, but I don't know how, because it was kind of like this spontaneous thing. Not exactly, I'm not exactly sure how this happened. So, Miriam bringing the joy in that, in that destruction, pointing us to God when we might be just pointed towards fear. And Deborah, taking the rightful place that she had, the, the thing that she did with God, and telling everyone about it, telling what God did, uh, even though uh, she should have and even tried to step aside, she didn't. And when, when, the, when the man gave her the opportunity, she stepped forward and took her, her rightful place, as many men have. Which moment could be yours? You know, where, where is your opportunity to be fierce, to like sing a song? You know, you don't have to actually sing a song or write a poem, but it, it, it helps to name something, to say, this is who I am. This is what God did. Kind of have the same kind of ferocity that Miriam and Deborah had to tell their story, to put it out there. To say, yes, this happened. Maybe you write a song. Maybe you're a choreographer. That would be like a super like one-to-one -one correlation of how to do it. But how could you stir up some joy in the face of fear? That's Miriam's legacy. How could you take your rightful place, even though it would, it would, it would mean be kind of putting yourself on blast a little bit? No, this is what God did. This is what I experienced. I think that's what I want to leave you with, is you can follow these women in uh, telling the story the way that it actually was. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.